0: Greetings this morning in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus. I um, do also thank Doug for the message this morning. I think all of us have, have some experiences of times in life where we may not have felt like a Job, but we may not have understood what was going on. And um, many times, Uh, not only don't we understand what's going on, and like John said, what did we do wrong? Where did we, where did we turn wrong? But many times, like Job's friends, we have people that think they know why it's going on. And which actually increases the trial, can increase the trial. I am really glad that also understanding friends that can come alongside and comfort, and not judge, and bless, and pray, and sympathize, and praise God for those. Let's turn for a scripture this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 25. And there we have these words. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled with an evil con- from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together at the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So this morning, I like to speak on the phrase that we commonly use, go to church. If someone were to ask you this afternoon what you did this morning, you would say, I went to church. And you might add, I went to Oasis. We all go to church on Sunday morning. The first day of the week we don't go to work. We don't do school or go to school depending on your situation. We don't bake or wash or go shopping. We go to church. And we follow the example of the early Christians who commonly gathered the first day of the week. The day that our Lord rose from the dead. After overcoming the devil, after taking our sins to the cross, dying in our place, and went into the grave, stayed there, and then he rose again on the first day of the week. Um, the Corinthians were instructed by Paul to lay money aside on the first day of the week in preparation for Paul's coming so they don't need to gather when he comes. And um, John, in the book of Revelation, was in the spirit on the Lord's day when he had this revelation. And uh, this message is not a message on how to appropriately observe the Lord's day. It would be good to have that sometime, but that's not the point of the message this morning. But God's people meet. The Greek word oh, I have a bore that's fine. <laughs> the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which is a compound Greek word which means uh called out of. Ek means out of, and ekklesia means called together. And uh, so it's translated church in our English language. The Greek word is ekklesia. And it's not a specifically Christian word. Um, it was used commonly in the Greek culture for um, any purpose, like you would have a gathering of citizens that were gathered together to discuss the affairs of the state. That was a church. It was an assembly. It was a gathering. Um, You could have a town meeting, a school meeting, a church, or an ecclesia is a gathering of people for a specific purpose, coming together for a specific reason. Now, what is not a church? A traffic jam is not a church. There you have a collection of people. But they didn't gather for a specific purpose. In fact, they probably wish they weren't there. Well, I hope there's nobody here that way this morning. But a traffic jam is not a church, even though it's a collection of people. A concert is not a church. Even though people gather together, maybe for a specific purpose, it's all individual. It's not It's not that they gather together to interact and converse and arrive at a conclusion, nothing like that. So a concert is not a church. But an ecclesia is a purposeful assembly of people with at least some predetermined purpose and design. Now, if you were God, don't presume to be so, but if you were God and you would choose a Word that describes your people, what kind of word would you use? God does use a number of word pictures to describe his people. He calls them the bride, the bride of Christ. That's a word picture of his people. He calls them his sheep. Maybe because they're dumb. Dumb sheep. You know, just follow. Uh, We need leadership. Leadership. We need guidance. We don't, we're pretty vulnerable. But he calls his people sheep. But by far the most common word that God uses in his word to describe his people is the church. Or the assemblers. Church means an assembly. So collectively, his people are called an assembly, and individually they are called the assemblers. Of all the words that God could use to describe his people, he calls them the assemblers. And in English, the common word we use is the church, the assembly. We are the assemblers. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Several weeks ago, we had Dave Esch at our house, and he was told me that they were going to go on a trip. I don't know what all they're doing, but they said they're going to be missing for several weeks here. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and I told him, okay, that's good. I'm going to preach about you this morning. But, If God's people are, by their descriptive name, called the assemblers or the gatherers, maybe we shouldn't take too lightly to miss that assembly. Calling the church the assemblers is like calling an orange, an orange because it's orange. You call a trailer, A trailer, because it trails. You call the church, the church, because it churches. It assembles. That's their name. Their very name means that they get together regularly. And so, God's people have regular gatherings, and they regularly get together, and they regularly assemble for specific purposes. Now that we've established that God's people meet, and I don't know if I needed to convince anybody about that at all this morning. I don't think I need to. But we've established that God's people meet. They meet regularly. They meet um, scheduled times together. I'd like next to understand what do God's people do when they get together. Years ago, we had some very active young boys in our household, and we had some challenges. And my mom asked her grandsons, my boys, what they do at church. And they said, we sit still. Now, I think it's good and proper for children to learn to control themselves and to sit quietly and reverently doing the service. But the question I have for you is, do you come to church to sit still for a few hours and then go home? Is that why you got together? If someone were to ask you right now, why do you go to church? What would you say, what would you tell them? Why do you go to church? In this day of modern media, why not stay at home, listen to a message, watch a message in the comfort and security of your own home? You wouldn't have to all get ready, you wouldn't have to all take baths, you know, all have to dress up, you could save on your gas, you could give more money to the missionaries. Why do you come to church? So maybe I want to ask the question, since you've been all sitting quietly long enough, Why do you go to church? Do you have any answers for me? Why do you go to church? You're all sitting very still. Yes. Edification of the saints, both ways, yourself and others. Okay. Any others? Yes to worship, and learn more about God. to worship to worship God and to learn more about God okay yes uh, to maintain relationships with others. maintain relationships and the purpose for those relationships is similar to what um, Alan <laughs> mentioned and other things comfort. Anything else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God dwells in the midst of His people, doesn't He? He does. That's good. Very good. I'm going to speak on some of them. I'm actually, going to predominantly, probably speak on what uh, Alan has mentioned. If you would turn to uh, Acts two. And we look at the birth of the church. In Acts 2, we have the beginning and we have a number of things that the early church did. Acts 2 and verse 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3000 souls and they those early disciples early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers now there you could immediately have a four point message i'm not going to speak on each one of those points in detail but they continued steadfastly. Means steadfast basically means that they, they, they were earnest and they persevered and they were constantly diligent in those four things. And so the first one there, which we'll touch on very briefly here, is the apostles' doctrine, and that is what um, what Joshua here mentioned about t- teaching. What is apostles' doctrine? Doctrine, in this case, means the didache. It means teaching. So, teaching or instruction, that would be a viable reason to get together, right? But you could sit at home and get teaching. You could sit in front of your video screen and watch a message, a preacher preach, and you could get instruction. But that is one of the reasons we get together, is for this very reason. But what would you miss by getting your teaching at home? Fellowship. Fellowship. That's the next point, and that's where I'll focus on mostly this morning. Interaction. Questions. Accountability. Confession. Encouragement. Rebuke. That is what some of what the fellowship implies. Fellowship means partnership or participation together or social intercourse. Um, koinonia is the word in Greek. It simply means common sharing on every level. The early Christians... The early Christians... Um, They had, these early Christians here had experienced what John describes in John 3, they had experienced the new birth. They had experienced what Ezekiel describes as the taking out of a stony heart and putting in a heart of flesh. They had experienced what, uh, Colossians, Paul in Colossians describes as a circumcision of the heart. Instead of the circumcision of the flesh. And they had now been translated into the kingdom of light. Translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what they had experienced. And now they begin to interact together. On a personal level. With each other in a completely new way. And they interacted with people they had never met before. They interacted with people that they had no background, they, had, they crossed social classes, it crossed occupational classes, it crossed, uh, to a degree, some gender classes and other things, marital classes, age classes. They began to have fellowship with one another on a different level. You know, you can choose your friends, you can choose where you work, You can choose many things, but there's one thing you cannot choose, and that you cannot choose your brothers and sisters. You can't choose your siblings because you inherit them. And whether you like them or not, they are your siblings. And you're not going to change that, and they're going to be your siblings as long as you live. So here we are. We are spiritual brothers and sisters. And God chose each one of you, not you. And one of the reasons we go to church is that we can interact with one another. And intent is for our mutual benefit. And in an ideal world, we would just all come to church, and we read that in Acts. I mean, they were just, I mean, it was, of course, it was the honeymoon stage of the church. We read not too far down the road that they had problems in the early church too. But in an ideal world, we'd all come to church, and we'd all be blessed, we'd all be encouraged, and we just love each other so much. <laughs> but God teaches us true love, by mixing us with people who aren't always easy to love. He does that. In fact, learning to love people that I don't particularly like is probably the best way to learn how to love. If you're going to love, you read in, read in Coloss, um, Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Love, it suffers long. If you just have ideal or perfect brothers and sisters, you don't need to suffer long. But people that you might not necessarily choose to be with, people who you might not necessarily interact or just flow together with, and yet they're your brothers, they're your sisters, and we are together, and we're going to learn how to love. So, how would you do that if you wouldn't go to church? You know, the church is to be what someone described a social, sociological miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle of people from different classes and groups that actually get together that don't wouldn't because of that common bond of the, of the kingdom of God, they actually get together. And they wouldn't be together except they are the same spiritual family. And you could just think about this. How many of us would be together this morning in one room were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life? We wouldn't be here. But we've been together on around that common theme, around the throne of God. If it were not for Jesus, very few of us in this room would be friends. But the early church, they gathered joyfully in fellowship. And so they are our example of gathering together. But God, just to make sure that no one forgets it down through the ages, and we think, well, that that um, the early church gathered together, uh, that was just uh, descriptive of them. It wasn't prescriptive. Do you know what the difference is between descriptive and prescriptive? When it's descriptive, something is in the Bible, you can see it, but it's not commanded. And then some things are in the Bible, they're prescriptive, they're prescribed, they're commanded. Well, what in Acts, let's, let's, let's face it, there's a lot of things in Acts that are descriptive, that are not prescriptive. I, I, will, I will acknowledge that. But just to make sure that we don't put this one aside, God actually makes it prescriptive, and he commands his people to assemble together. Don't neglect it. Don't quit it. Get together regularly. The pursuit of God was never intended to be done alone. It is to be done with other believers who gather together regularly in one place and and fellowship together. Here is a quote or a reading, a small paragraph from a 19th century preacher, Benjamin Bram, which he wrote these er, words about the early disciples. He said, There were doubtless special reasons which drew these early disciples into close spiritual communion. They lived in an age of hostility. In fellowship, they found a powerful means of sustaining their common spiritual life. There are two forms of help which minister to Christian life in men and women. One comes from within, and another comes from without. By that which comes within, I mean meditation, prayer, devotion, and the power of the Spirit of God within us. When I taught, was that the last message about the devotional life? That's talking about getting strength from within. But then there is some which comes without which I mean the contact of mind with mind, of heart with heart, with the power of the Spirit of God ministering through agencies that are without us. Christian men need both. There is inspiration in true Christian fellowship. Faith strengthens faith. Love is quickened by love. Through Christian fellowship also, they were able to make greater efforts for Christ's cause. Achievements are possible in organized life which are beyond the power of individual effort. Unity is strength. Cooperation is multiplied power. I know no habit more worth pleading for than this habit of meeting together in Christian fellowship. There's also another story when we talk about fellowship and being together. You probably heard this story already in various forms, I'm going to give John MacArthur's form of it, called the Lonely Ember. He said, a member of a certain church who had previously been attending services regularly stopped going. After a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. The pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace, and waited. The pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing. In the grave silent, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth, all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the lone One lone ember's flame diminished. There was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. And that's just an illustration of the collective burning embers and what they are to do for us. So we go to church to be taught the Apostles' Doctrine. That comes predominantly, but not exclusively, from those older in the faith. And then we go to church for fellowship. And that includes all of us. What actually could or should each one of us do when we go to church? We already touched on a few but let's look at a scripture that puts some definition to this. Uh, this scripture we we'll turn to it First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, we're starting at verse eleven. This scripture is very much in a an assembly context. And as we read it, just listen to God and let God speak to your heart as he gives some very specific and definitive direction from his word. Verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for your, for their words, work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren and sisters. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded or the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And we'll just stop reading there. Very specific, very practical points. And I like to ask, do you come or do you go or come to church with any specific purpose in mind? There's some purposes given from the Word of God right here. And God is gracious. In his word right here, he does not say, Thou shalt. And he does not say, Thou shalt not. He says, I beseech you. I exhort you. This is my heart. This is my will for you. It's not a commandment, but it's my will. That's the gracious God that we serve. I brought you I bought you, and then I brought you together, and one of the reasons I did is so that you would have fellowship and minister to one another. And we could say, of course, this is for older folks. They're supposed to do that, right? But younger Christians, they didn't have to come so seriously to church seriously not the right word, but you know what I mean, purposefully. What do you think? So young Christians come with the same thought and purpose also? Well, let me ask this of all of us. What is the spiritual climate and interaction that you have when you go to church? Is it, there's a lot of words we could use for this. I'm going to say carnal or spiritual. Now when I say spiritual, I do not mean quoting Bible verses all the time. Or even always talking about spiritual things. I'm not talking about that. That's not spiritual only. We are whole people. And what we do is part of us. If we do everything in our life for the glory of God anything in our life we can talk about and be spiritual so as a whole person it is right and proper for us to talk about anything that involves our lives but the question i like to ask is in what for context is this conversation occurring as you come to church in your interaction with others is it the type that edifies Is it the type that builds others up? Does it encourage faith towards God? Does it encourage love towards others? What for context is your conversation as you have conversation with others at church? Does it heighten your sensitivity to sin? Or is it the opposite? Drawing others down. Are others better off because you went to church? One other area, that's a question that you need to ask. I I need to ask that question of myself. And you need to answer that question of yourself. And the fact is, if you are in a conversation that might not be edifying and part of your reason to come to church is to rebuke, may I suggest a gentle word from you and you or me if there is an unedifying conversation. That is proper to do in a gentle way. There's another area that Val Yoder, the former teacher at SMBI, writes about in his book on ecclesiology, is the concept of digging for gold. He describes a miner or a mining company, miners going into a new pristine wilderness area and they're going to mine for gold. Now the surface of the area is beautiful. It has lakes and forests, as he described in his book. I think he was describing northern Minnesota. (laughs) Lakes and rivers and hills, trees, beautiful. But, and you could stay on the scenery and enjoy the beauty of it. But if you are a miner and you go into a remote area, you did not come for the scenery. You have something else in mind. You're here to extract something down deep. And you know what happens when a miner begins to dig? What does he get? Rocks. Dirt. Ooh, I think I'll stay on the surface. I'm talking about relationships now. When you stay on surface areas, But a miner expects that. If you're going to get involved in people's lives, expect some dirt and some rocks. A miner expects it, and so he's not discouraged when he comes and digs down below the surface and he gets dirt and rocks. He expects that. That's part of it. But he's going down, and he's looking for something. And at some point, they get to the gold. They get to the true valuables, which is what they were looking for. You know, that's not easy when we talk about relationships and going below the surface. It takes determination and dedication and perseverance. It takes setbacks sometimes. A miner faces a lot of setbacks. They might have equipment failures. They might go down and they might hit water, and they got to pump it out. They have all kinds of obstacles that they face but they figure out a way to overcome the obstacle so they can move ahead and get the gold. And I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, Val Yoder just says it so much better than I can, so I'm going to read a little bit of him. He says, Discovering the gold in the heart of a fellow Christian demands sticking with him or her while digging through the rocks. He said, Why do we delight so little in one another? Why is it that the ones who don't know us as well delight in us more than those who know us better? It is easy then to assume that to know us is contrary to liking, to delighting in us. Therefore, we keep people at a distance so they won't see our rocks and our dirt. We tend to forget that badness runs shallow and goodness runs deep in the heart of the church of Jesus Christ. The root system of the believer is gold. There is down deep a passion for God. There is a deep, deep desire to please him. This is the essence of gold. The gold of the inner sanctuary is the presence of Jesus Christ in the throne room. The body of my fellow believer, even with his rocky parts, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Paul told Philemon that he greatly rejoiced because of his faith and love which he had toward Jesus Christ and all the saints. Paul was highlighting Philemon's gold. Go for the gold is what God tells us. Go down deep. When we go to church, go down deeper than the surface. Now there's one more thing. As I want to talk about fellowship. We talked about um I didn't write my points down but we did just the third point. <laughs> one more thing I'd like to look about as you go to church and what what you have come to purpose to do and that is in Ephesians. Well, I don't I won't turn there. But In Ephesians 4, we read that Christ, after he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. And we heard that from Brother John here over the the last month. And what are those gifts? Those gifts, in case we don't know what they are, he tells what they are. They are actually gifted individuals. He says apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and so on. He gives a list. So the gifts that Christ gave to the church are individuals who are gifted. Okay? So, in that context, he's talking more about leadership, but he has in mind, as you go on there reading, it said, till we all come together. It's the purpose that those gifts are given to the church is so that we mature, that we will grow together, and that we become like Jesus Christ. That's the point of uh, of. Um, of gifted individuals interacting with one another. And so, Jesus Christ has gifted every one of you, has gifted me, has gifted you with at least one gift, possibly multiple gifts. God gave us gifts so that we can not use them for ourselves, but can use them when you go to church. Your gifts are to be used when you go to church. If your gift is mercy, there is someone at church that needs your gift. And it is your job to find that person. And like Dan Ollinger said, dump a truckload of mercy on him. I told my wife that and she said, what if your gift is prophecy? Prophecy. Oh. <laughs> well, be careful on the on the scale, okay? <laughs> but you have a gift. Your gift is to be used. You are to come to church and you need to know that there's someone at church that needs your gift today. The point is that God has given each one of us gifts. Each one of us has gifts. And we're only stewards of those gifts. We don't own them. We have them in our possession. But they were given. He gave them. He gave the gift the intention that we would develop them. And use them. And your gift is given for the benefit of someone else. You came to church. With that in mind today, didn't you? Why did you come to church today? Did you come to use your gift? Did you come with the purpose of going a little more gold? Going a little deeper with somebody in relationships? I know you can do this outside church too. But why do you go to church? Now there are other reasons to assemble also. In Acts it talks about the breaking of bread. And that can mean both the communion service or it can mean simply a common meal. I think it can mean both. And we assemble for both of those reasons at different times. Those are, those are edifying, uh, they are to be edifying and strengthening times. Whether you eat a common meal with someone or whether you partake in the communion service and, and that special Special time where only the family of God gets together and, and has that special time, almost like a marriage. And then there's also, in, the, in I'm, I'm referring to those four points in Acts, the time of breaking of bread and of prayer and prayers. We gather together for prayer also, a midweek service. And I think both of those are essential in our warfare, and should not lightly be neglected. I'd like to, in closing, read in Malachi. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, because it brings out, the, I think, brings out the point a little better. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasure possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And the reason I just brought this, is this, of course, in the context of Israel, in the context of apostasy, but it talks about those who are wicked, talked about those who are godly. Those who are godly speak together often, and they do it with a purpose. They have a reason. They, they, They church with a purpose and a reason. And God will notice that. God will bless that. And so I'd like to ask the question this morning, why do you go to church? And maybe you can share that in your testimony. Let's kneel for a word of prayer if you're able to. Our Father... We are grateful to you that you, which you knew our frame, you knew, Lord, our need. You knew, Lord, the challenges and the dangers that we would face in our Christian life. Lord, you have something beautiful in mind. Lord, as, as you designed the church, the designed that they would gather together, that they would interact, that you would that we would use each other to build us up to become like you. Lord, as we consider that, and Lord, recognize that you could have just spoken to each one of us directly in our hearts, and that we each individually could have come just like you by listening to you and by reading the word, but that was not your design. But in your design, Lord, you saw there were some deeper needs in our hearts, and you have allowed each one of us to be a part of the answer of each other. Lord, I pray as we gather together regularly, each one of us here, that now that we would recognize both the value and the privilege that we have to gather together. And Lord, also recognize, Lord, that, that we would come together not haphazardly, but with purpose, with design, with prayer, with a desire, Lord, to seek each other out, to meet each other where we're at, to comfort, to exhort, and to and to correct, Lord, where needed. And Lord, we just pray that you would use this message and speak specifically to each one here in the very need of our hearts. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.